Welcome to the All In Your Head podcast, where we get all in your head. We are a mental health podcast focused on anything and everything mental health. We will have special guests ranging from mental health experts, mental health advocates, and just everyday people with real struggles. We will share laughs, we will share cries, but most importantly, we will have real conversations about mental health. So with that being said, let's get all in your head. Woohoo! Angela, thank you for taking the time. I'm so excited to have you. I've known you for a little while now, and I think you just have tremendous value in multiple arenas. So tell the listeners who you are. What do you do? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jamie. So I am an executive therapist. Um, I'm licensed as a psychotherapist in the state of Colorado and have been for, uh, I don't know, 18 years now. And I also work as an executive coach with individual leaders, as well as with entire organizations. Executives is a very specialized population, right? And so Hmm. why do you think they need a specialized therapist? Like, What what is it about that population where they may need someone who knows more about them and, and their experiences? Well, I think the entire population is well served when they can work with a specialist who knows them and their their cohorts rather well. Executives have an amazing capacity for large amounts of stress, Mm -hmm. but they also have pretty massive responsibilities. And so it's a unique set of, of circumstances for sure. Yeah. How did you even get into this type of work? I've been supporting professionals for 20 years now And the more that I started working with executives and leaders and entrepreneurs, the more fun I was having. (laughs) They like to move quickly in life, as do I. And, you know, they're incredibly bright and dedicated to the things that they pursue, which includes their work with me. So they're very rewarding clients to work with. You see you see positive gains every time you meet with them. I work with the executives too, and I think they're very results driven, right? Like they want results right away, which can be a detriment as well. But that works well with therapy, right? Like if you are investing in something, you want to see a result. And so I have Mm -hmm. seen that work well uh, with a therapeutic relationship as well. They want to see results. I want to see results. So let's find results together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Since we're talking about the executives, we're talking about work. You spend a lot of time in this space of probably talking about work. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you're seeing right now as it relates to work? Well, one of the things that happened recently that I find completely fascinating is in October, the Surgeon General of the United States named toxic workplaces as one of the leading concerns in the U.S. because of its negative impact on mental health and stress levels. Mm. Look, being in the behavior health space, I know how frustrating it can be to not know the current status of your insurance reimbursements or even how much you will get reimbursed. Illuminate Billing Advocates is championing better behavior health billing through their tools like their dashboard that provide full transparency into your claim cycle. Check out more at illuminatebilling.com. And I found that astounding because personally, I don't think of our government as being on the cutting edge Mm -hmm. of spotting trends. 
So to have the Surgeon General stand up and name this as one of the primary concerns in our nation, I think is just evidence that it's gotten too far. That's a really good point. So if they found this today, that means it's probably been happening for a while. Yeah. I don't know about you, Angela, but I've worked in some toxic workplace environments. I'm not going to name any names. And so <laughs> I have some I have some ideas mm-hmm. as to kind of what that looks like. And I've also had some ideas as to how you can respond to it. But, you know, when we say toxic workplace, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it can toxicity can manifest in a few different ways. One of them is overworking. Mm -hmm. unrealistic workloads so that there is no work-life balance. We know that overworking is a a setup for burnout. Mm -hmm. The human body can manage stress that comes in episodes, but it cannot manage chronic stress. We cannot run full out all day, every day, month after month. I, again, have seen workplace toxicity and i've seen this overworking and i've even seen agencies celebrate overworking and give mm-hmm. awards to people who basically the award is hey we've taken advantage of you for the entire year so we're going to give you an award and so <laughs> I, i've seen it we're going to give you an award and pretend it's okay and i'm ashamed to also say i've received one of those rewards in my lifetime <laughs> it was a long it was a long time ago but i've also received one of those rewards and it, it it doesn't feel good like it you know even when i received the award it's just like i i obviously accept it but i was just like this doesn't feel good. Um, what what else do you see as it relates to workplace toxicity? You talked about overworking, but what else is involved? There is some powerful research out there about incivility in the workplace. Hmm. So when someone inside the organization is being rude and disrespectful to someone else, and the researchers who studied incivility uh, discovered that even if you were not directly involved, maybe something rude was said, mm. but it was to your coworker and not to you, that you were 66% more likely to cut back on your work. Mm. And there was an 80% chance that you would lose some work time. You know, you used a very fancy word, uh, yeah. but it sounds like abuse. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, um, you know that's sometimes maybe, it's abuse, yeah. and I think sometimes it looks a little more mild than that. Sure, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, a manager being overly critical when yeah. they they don't have to be so so sharp tongued. Yeah, and and sometimes it is abuse. I hear examples every week from my clients. There is still among some leaders, there's an old school mentality that if you yell at and shame your workforce they are there's a belief that that will somehow motivate them and that the research is quite clear it it does the opposite it demotivates them yeah so it's really that whole idea of motivating people through fear right yeah and it's interesting we're in a very interesting time as it relates to workplace and in our workforce as well right and i think that what maybe motivated a workforce 10 years ago doesn't motivate anymore. Is that what you're seeing as well? 
Yeah. And I think we can even pin some changes to nationwide sentiment and the way that it's shifted just since COVID-19. Yeah, for sure. A recent study says that now 90% of people say that how they feel at work matters. That's pretty shocking and important to know. (laughs) Yeah. And 84% of employees say that stressors inside the workplace have contributed to them developing a mental health challenge. Well, I talk a lot about environment and where you spend your time. And Mm -hmm. in this buyer performance, the second dimension is environment, which means engaged in healthy and stimulating spaces. And I find that most people spend their time in two or three places, home, work, and then maybe like two or three other places. And so I could see how that would have a very significant impact on your mental health, just based on the amount of time that you spend at work. Mm -hmm. That's where our majority of our waking hours are spent, right? Yeah. And more hours interfacing with colleagues than we do with our own family members. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we've got a toxic workplace. We've got some incivility that going on. Is there anything else that you're seeing? Yeah, the the concerns are around a lack of psychological safety in the workplace. Uh, The Surgeon General was very clear that everyone needs to feel like they're protected from harm. Yeah. And they also found that there's a need for people to have that opportunity to continue to grow inside of their organizations, which I don't think is any surprise to you and I. We know that development and learning is is good for the brain and good for mental health. Yeah. With this information, what do you do with it? Well, the the last really important component is that we all need community. Mm. And because we spend so many waking hours, we need community at work. Yeah. That's particularly challenging in this day and age when the majority of white collar professionals have become hybrid. Yeah. There's been great research done that we are less likely to have friends at work now than we were before the pandemic. And we're also seeing evidence that for the youngest cohort of adults that are in the workforce, those young 20-somethings, that the isolation of hybrid and remote work models are really hard on their mental health. Yeah, that's a really good point. And there was a really interesting um, study released by the Wall Street Journal after the first shutdown of COVID. They discovered that when we have successes at work and when we have setbacks at work, we need the stress relief of being able to share that with another person. But we do not go out of our way to call our best friend who lives across the country to share that news. What we did before the pandemic was we would grab the person in the office or the cubicle closest to ours and share that news with them. So proximity was playing a large role in those relationships. And they found that a lot of organizations simply have not been able to recreate Hmm. that social community relationship dynamic inside their organizations even if they have a Slack channel, even if they Mm. had Zoom meetings, um, there's still something about that water cooler talk and what it did for us as humans that we, I think most of us have not yet figured out how to incorporate back into an average work week. Yeah. So there's got to be something we can do, right? (laughs) 
I would uh, hope so. Yeah, you know, you, you've mentioned, and I think a lot of people who are listening can probably relate as you talk about these different topics because they're thinking about their own work experience and like, yeah, that's what I'm experiencing too, and it sucks. Given all this, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> I think at the employee level, we continue to advocate for the things that we know that we need. Mm-hmm. And every time a manager will listen to us, every time an employee survey is sent out, every time we have the opportunity to speak up and voice our needs and our opinions, I think we need to continue to do that. I do think what's considered acceptable inside most organizations is up for reconsideration at this moment in time. Yeah. And I, I would love to see those scales tipped. I would love to see it that toxic workplaces become like this rare anomaly and that we have so many more informed, healthy places for people to go for their livelihoods. I do think that employees have more power than they historically have just based on where our workforce is, right? And so- Oh, yes. Several of my clients who are CEOs at the helm of large organizations know that as well. (laughs) I interface with executives all the time who would love to call their workforce back to the office five days a week. Mm-hmm. And yet they are they are keenly aware that they risk massive turnover if they do that. So they can they can feel that pull of how much power the employees have right now. Yeah. And you know, employees obviously shouldn't abuse that power, right? Like even if they recognize that they have power right now, let's not abuse it because that's not fair to anyone. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So that's something that employees can do. Just speak up. And when you have those opportunities to talk about what you feel like you need as an employee to be more successful, absolutely speak up. Mm-hmm. What can leadership do? Ah, well, leadership can really advocate for healthy internal cultures hmm. or strong norms. I was interfacing with a client yesterday who has an employee that, you know, has been flying off the handle and berating others on an ongoing basis. Hmm. Sometimes when people are so poorly behaved like that, we become accustomed to it and we stop pushing back against it. And that's what had happened in his particular organization. But I think as a society, we need to have a, a smaller tolerance for toxic behavior. And it's harder when there's a lot of money involved. You know, if it's a client who maybe is 1% of your revenue, like kick rocks, you can't talk Mm -hmm. to my people like that. I think it's a more difficult decision when, you know, maybe it's a higher paying customer and maybe you you take a little more than you should. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I even had a leader say that to me this week, that in their experience, the more power and or money someone brought into the organization they felt like the more latitude that individual was given around their poor behavior. That's got to be really powerful, though, for an employee to see your leadership stand up for you. You know, I'm picturing myself as an employee and having a, a leader stand up for me. I, I would imagine that feel pretty good. I would think so. I would I would think that's the kind of workplace that I would want to stick around longer. Yeah. Yeah. What else are you seeing as we're talking about executives and leadership and and how they can lead healthier cultures? Well, inside of these cultural shifts and norms, we're also seeing a growing importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion measures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I think that is because of all of the reasons that you and I just covered, Jamie. So when you are in one of those minority groups and you are being passed up for opportunities, not because of your performance, but because of implicit bias, well, then think about how that impacts your well-being or lack thereof it, your mental health inside that organization. Your actions speak, and I think that's something important for people to hear too. You can say whatever you want, but your actions are going to speak louder than your words. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Yeah. You spend a lot of time in this space, a lot more than I do. And as it relates to work, as it relates to executives, what do you see or what do you think people need to know? Well, what's fascinating to me is in the executive coaching space and the organizational management space, we're seeing the infiltration of some really healthy concepts mm -hmm. that you and I have have been keyed into as mental health professionals for a long, long time now. A lot of organizations are getting in tune with the fact that at the most basic level, they need a foundation of trust mm -hmm. inside their companies. And in order to do that, there has to be some measure of vulnerability. Now that measure of vulnerability looks different than it, you know, in a boardroom than it does in a therapy room, but it can be as basic as a leader coming into the office one day and just admitting, Hey guys, I'm going through something rough at home. I'm sorry. I'm not on my A game today. Something as small as that, even though they don't go into details and they don't explain what it gives permission to everybody else in the room to be more authentic mm -hmm. and more truthful about their own challenges. But leaders, you know, they, they are aware that they set the tone and the culture inside the organization, but they walk this fine line of being told that they have to instill confidence in the workforce, look like they have it all together and appear impenetrable but then yet at the same time, the organization needs authenticity and vulnerability. So it is this, this very fine line that they often have to figure out how to walk. That's really important. That's a good point. What do you think separates someone who is effective and can work with these leaders from someone who wants to work with these leaders? Mm, for any executive coach, regardless of their training and background, I think they have to have the training and the willingness to go a little deeper mm -hmm. with that leader because the most significant shifts that occur as we're developing leaders are the ones that happen underneath the surface. Uh, just yesterday, a business owner was sharing with me how she hired this you know, prominent, expensive firm to come in and provide coaching to her team. And there, there's absolutely no depth to mm. what this organization is providing. She's not seeing any results and she's no. deeply dissatisfied. Um, and it's because they're just kind of preaching at them and spitting content at them. Yeah. And they're not getting to the deeper layers underneath. I wonder if there's, and I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if there's firms out there that just have playbooks, you know, almost like call centers where they just spit the same information to to the people that they work with and 
that's not authentic, right? And that's probably not like some of the information is probably helpful because someone really smart probably put it together. But you know, I think what separates that from people like us is that we spend a lot. Well, first of all, we're therapists and we're trained mental health professionals, and we 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 have that lens of wellness and self care and those types of things. But you know, we take the time to really dive in and connect with people and find out what they need and want and their values. Cause I think right. that's important too. Like what, you know, what do you value? What drives you? And then really kind of take the time to have an individualized plan for that person. You know, I have a model, but my model looks differently for every person that I work with kind of based on what they're, what they're going through. Right. And I'm, I'm assuming Absolutely. that you have a similar, similar method. Yeah, you can't do a, a plug and play. And I think what we're talking about here, Jamie, is just as you and I have had many personal conversations about how it's hard to find good therapists out there, executive coaches exist along the same continuum as well. Yeah. Um, I have respected colleagues out there in the executive coaching space who have radically different backgrounds than mine, but provide amazing coaching services that I witness as transformative for their clients. So, you know, I think there's always a gamut, but the truth is we all bring our psychology to work with us. Mm -hmm. The reason that I handle conflict in the workplace in the way that I do has everything to do with what I learned about conflict long before I arrived at this organization. You know, there are things that we all track into the office on the bottom of our shoes, (laughs) that we've been tracking along with us for quite some time now. And to some degree, you need to get into that stuff to make significant shifts inside the coaching space. Does it have to be to the depth and duration that it is in the therapy space? No, but you have to at least name it and point to it. Yeah. You know, let me ask you this. We both work with leaders and in my work with leaders, you know, many of them are used to being in control and having this power. And if I say something, people listen and they do what I tell them to do. And there's this power differential, right? Yeah. And they're not used to people calling them on their stuff. And, and I know you well enough to know that you do that and I do that. And so <laughs> how do your executives respond to you calling them on their bullshit? <laughs> Uh, remarkably well. Yeah. It's, I'm probably, to... it's probably refreshing, right? For like finally someone to like really be honest with me and give me an honest point of view instead of, you know, I, I've been a leader and I work with leaders and there was a long time where I thought I was a lot funnier than what I actually am because I was a leader and people were just laugh at all my jokes. <laughs> and I thought I was like the most hilarious guy ever. And I think I'm kind of funny, but between my mom who laughs at all my jokes and then all my employees who laughed at my jokes, I thought I was going to go on a comedy tour, but <laughs> they don't get that authentic feedback sometimes. Absolutely not. One of one of my clients was at the helm as CEO of a massive organization, you know, so tens of thousands of employees. And he had an awareness of how many yes people yeah. there were surrounding yeah. him how many people would be agreeable because of his position and because of his title. And I was not one of those people. Mm -hmm. He was about to make a decision that I thought could really work against his long-term happiness. And I confronted him head on and said, you need to pump the brakes and really look at this. And my experience has been that leaders don't normally get defensive with me about candid feedback 
because they have such an intrinsic drive to grow and evolve themselves. Yeah. I, I feel like they almost welcome the candid feedback because they are so interested in development and improvement. Leaders tell me if they disagree or they if, yeah. they, if they have a different perspective, but I don't think I've ever had a situation where I had someone offended by difficult feedback. I think mm-hmm. they listen to it first and kind of process it. And then sometimes they'll provide a different perspective and we'll sort through it. But I don't know if I've, I've ever had experience where they just, they're just all right, offended by it and, you know, yeah. Click yeah. the uh, click the end meeting button. I don't think I've ever had that experience. <laughs> we have you for a couple more minutes here, and I certainly appreciate the time. You have a tremendous amount of experience and value. What else for anyone do you think would be important to know about work, leadership, anything in the space that you do? Sure. Well, I think it's also important that America understand and acknowledge that the mental health crisis that is sweeping across the nation, you and I know it has not it has not abated since mm-hmm. the virus became something that we worry about less. We're yeah. still seeing significant mental health challenges in all populations. And unfortunately, that includes the C-suite. Yeah. So there's a lot of research and data that came out this year that even at the highest levels, uh, those individuals are are bearing the costs of their stressors as well. Um, there was some research produced about how many CEOs uh, went through a period of marital distress mm. and separation and even divorce after the pandemic. Um, and the theory was that COVID forced them to over-index on work so much that their marriages paid the cost. Um, We're also seeing high levels of burnout among CFOs, and there's a trend of CFOs entering into early retirement Mm -hmm. as a result of how draining their jobs have been in recent years. And I personally have had two uh, suicidal executives on Mm -hmm. my calendar this month alone. Wow. Uh, so even those more exacerbated forms of mental health challenges, I think, you know, they're sweeping through the C-suite as well. Yeah. Wow. You know, I've also seen an increase in addictive behaviors, and I, I'm sure it's associated with stress. You have executives who, for many of them, it's part of their job to entertain. So they're going out to dinners and drinking, and some of that can be oh, very, yeah. very social, right? And I joke with some of my friends who are in those positions and I'm like, Oh, it must be so rough to have to go to another dinner, you know, and, and uh, have a nice steak. It's tough job that you have, but it it can be exhausting. Number one, but sometimes it's a social thing and you do because you have to, but then if you have to stress, it's easily becomes an addiction. Is that something that you've seen? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We most certainly have, a spike in substance overuse in all populations. And yeah, I think in some organizations, that's the culture, right? Yeah. Yeah. Work hard, play hard. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think ultimately that's why the Surgeon General finally stepped up to the plate is because we know that those toxic workplaces then create 
a recipe for chronic stress mm-hmm. and chronic stress then gives birth to mental health challenges like substance misuse and depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, yeah. all of those psychological and physical woes. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to get better. You know, I think about the spire performance and at the bottom is physical health. And so that's where I usually start with people. Hmm. What are you doing to take care of yourself? Are you exercising? Are you eating healthy? Are you getting sleep? What's your relationship with the drugs and alcohol? And, you know, for some people that I work with, just making some adjustments in their physical health, even small adjustments have had such a tremendous change in their mental health and their mood and all those things. And so there's a variety of interventions that work for people and work for executives and every situation is different. But, you know, I think for all people, I think really taking a look at your physical health, taking a look at your habits and and how you take care of your body uh, has a significant impact on your mental health. I love that that's the basis of your of your platform. I had a CEO this month who said, you know, Angela, I'm going to discontinue working with you just to save costs. I'm about to do a layoff among my tech employees and confidentially I'm about to step down from this organization. So I'm going to start curbing some costs Um, and he's had remarkably high stress for quite some time. And, And so I said, okay, I, I accept that, but you know, promise me you will at least try to go get some cardio three times. A week. <laughs> I'm going to send you some research on yeah. why you need to do this. But, you know, at a basic level, if we can do a better job taking care of our physical health, then that supports our mental health as well. Yeah. And that's one of the first things to go. You know, we get we get stressed, which maybe could lead to depression. Depression leads to less behavior activation. So we don't want to do things. And then we become more depressed and that depression makes us not want to do things. And then we just kind of get stuck (laughs) right in this, in this place. And, and, uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're stuck right now, get unstuck, you know, do, do what you know works Um, because you've done it before, you know, do it again. And sometimes it's just taking that first step, putting those gym clothes on, you know, for me, when my alarm goes off, and it's gym time, mm-hmm. like 10% of the time I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> Nine, the other 90%, like I'm not interested. But once I get my clothes on, once I feel that cold air right now, especially in Colorado, as I'm walking into the gym, I'm starting to wake up. And I always, I'm always grateful when I do it. But that first step yeah. can be first step can be difficult sometimes. Absolutely. A dear friend of mine said, there are certain things in life that you might not enjoy while you're doing them, but you will appreciate how you feel once you have done them. That is so true. So true. Angela, thank you for taking the time with us. You are a wealth of knowledge and you're doing such amazing work with people. How can people find out more about what you do? Sure. I support individuals and organizations across the country. Uh, FlourishCounseling.com is the best way to find out more about me and my resources. And thanks for having me, Jamie. Yeah, thanks for the time and keep up the good work that you're doing. Thanks. You have just listened to the All In Your Head podcast. Learn more by following Jamie Glick on LinkedIn or by subscribing to the Mental Health Training Camp YouTube channel. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, You can call now or text 988 to get connected to free confidential support. Thanks for listening.